Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Miles Driven with me, Miles. And hello there from me, Sam. Just a hello there. I yeah, was, was expecting something joyful and full of joy. It, it, it was pretty lethal, but I, I was expecting <laughs> something from uh, another country or something like that. Well, you would be. Expectations are too high as always. Yeah, well, too right. <laughs> um, just a, a, a quick thank you to everyone who listened to the last four podcasts. Sam and I had uh, filmed a set together. And it just so happened that every single day we had available to do it, the um, the storms came over. First we had Eunice, and then Franklin. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, sort of ended sure. up that we for the last four, if you've been listening, you might get a little bit of wind whistling and wind noise in the background. So thanks for sticking with us. We did everything we could to edit it out, but um, when you've got a huge storm and seventy mile an hour, eighty mile an hour winds, uh, they're not that easy to get out. <laughs> he says we. Realistically, it's miles. It was. I, I turn up, speak for in a couple of hours, and then I, I go home again. Hours and hours of my time was spent doing that, and I kept messaging but, you, saying, know, I'm your... having this problem, I'm having this issue, and I got really. It's your name above the door, mate. <laughs> yeah, yes. I don't. Um, all I get is a hello at the beginning of the podcast, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really good news, Sam, for the start of this Why? podcast. Oh, I was going to do something that would have got us in copyright trouble. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good news. Because a few podcasts ago, we were having a discussion about uh, pickup trucks. We were. And I said that I really wanted a, a Dodge Ram or an F-150 to come over here. And you said they'd be too big, which I, I did agree with you. They would be a bit too big. Oh, so some morons decided to bring them over no, here when they're no, too big? No, The Ranger, the Ford Ranger, yeah. which is currently obviously here. We've got a current model. Uh, and we've, I've just done an article for this on the Mars Driven um, you can go and check that out on themilesdriven.com. They are bringing the Ranger Raptor to the UK. The, when the new Raptor comes out, which will be later this year, the first model that's going to be released is the Raptor. So they're not even going to bring the standard ones at the very first dawn. They're going to bring the Raptor out. It's going to get a 3-litre twin-turbocharged V6 engine. And still be as pointless as it was in America when it had... The spare wheel in the bed of the Well, that was the F-150 Raptor. Oh, okay. This is the Ranger Raptor. So you will get a pickup truck that you can fit in the UK because it is a bit smaller footprint. Still a big vehicle. But it's it's not going to have a two-litre diesel engine like the old one, which probably just wasn't enough to really live up to the uh, Raptor. 3.2 diesel. But it wasn't the Raptor. That's what... Do you remember you and I had this discussion when we said, it's so bizarre. They have a 3.2 diesel, which is in a wild track. Yeah. Or may have been another other variants as well, but you could go out and buy a wild track with a three point two diesel, or go and buy a Raptor, which is supposed to be the top end of the spectrum of what you could get, and it had a two liter diesel, and it just never really fit. It had all the off road sort of glamour and bits and pieces and suspension and wheels and stuff like that, but it really just didn't have the heart to have a proper three liter V six twin turbo petrol. Uh, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be, I think it's going to be about £55,000. But, but I can't think of, uh, unless the, uh, and I mentioned this in the article, um, unless we're going to get an Amarok GTI, because you know the Amarok and the Ranger are going to be the same. Yeah. With obviously different lights and badges. Oh, so, so excited for this. Oh, I couldn't, couldn't stop being excited no. for it. I love. Haven't the, slept. Uh, I'm sure you haven't. In my, in my waiting for yes. these two identical vehicles to arrive well you've loved everything so far that they've done commercially as a as a yes. joint like you yeah. loved yeah you love the caddy you yes. kept going the, on the about the ford vw partnership is is one of the one of ages yes i think 
Um, no, I'm really excited for that, and I can't wait till that comes to the UK, and, and hopefully we'll be able to secure a drive in one of those when they come out. I, I don't think it's going to be for another six to eight months uh, until they actually land, or, I mean, maybe the end of the end of uh, the end of summer something like that but with all the shortages that are still going on I doubt we're going to get one um, really early on but I just thought that's great there's a lot of people over here that have been waiting for quite a long time to have a big full size or a, a, a pickup truck that does actually have the proper wheels the big suspension can actually do some off-roading and previously we've been off I mean the Japanese have tried but I always find that the interiors of the Japanese pickups that we get are a bit small, considering how big they are on the outside. Um, and as I say, Ford with the Ranger, it was it was it was a good size vehicle, but they just all all of them with diesel engines, which was great for a building site. When you're trying to sell it as a a, ra- a Raptor, it, it needed a, a proper heart. So I'm I'm glad for that. Anything you want to say about it, Sam? No, I think my opinions are best kept. Yes, kept under wraps for now. But you know what we should, if we can, we'll try and get when because the Amarok and the Ranger will no doubt in the UK come out about the same time. So if we can, we should try and get them together. Yeah, and see how how the comparisons work. I think, I say, I don't think the Amarok is going to go for that sort of top end market, or if they do, it will be more of a luxury spec. It won't be so you know. Let's make it sporty and shouty and everything else. I think Ford is pretty much guaranteed that they have that market, yeah, which is fair enough. So, yeah, um, they they've had it for a long period of time over in the US, so they've got a bit more heritage to to lean on. And um, from that, we can actually start the podcast. I, I just good. wanted to talk about it. It it, it came across a news desk uh, yesterday, and I thought let's um, let's get that up on the site and put it up onto the Facebook page. But it's not here to be driven yet, so um thought it was worth mentioning. And then when it really does reach our shores, then we'll endeavour to get a, a proper drive for it. Um, we're going to talk about the cost of motoring today. Sam, do you want to start us off or do you want me to kick it off? Hey, you can kick it off if you like. So I want to start off with price of fuel. because I think we can all agree that it's ridiculous. I, I think, yeah, I know there's a lot of world politics going on at the minute, but... Fuel has reached a price now where I'm starting to really question because there was a shortage that seemed like it was manipulated by well, the, the press. shortage that wasn't a shortage. The shortage that wasn't a shortage where they basically need to get rid of all the E5 yeah. fuel that they had. So they said there's a shortage, ramped up the price. And, and everybody went out and bought it. Yeah. And then they could get rid of it. And then now they brought in E10. I, saw, I went to fill up yesterday and I saw that petrol was the exact same price as diesel. In the petrol station I went to, and that was a Tesco's petrol station, so they're usually one of the cheaper ones around in the towns. Generally speaking, yeah. It was one forty five point nine and one forty five point nine. So I, I was driving in thinking, why do I have a petrol? If they're going to be the same price, why am I driving a petrol car? This goes back to our first podcast, and um, if you do go to listen to the first podcast, is an apology on the the sound quality. First and second podcast, we were still getting all our audio equipment set up and trying to fine-tune everything but in that one we picked up me looking for a car to buy and i said i'm going to go and buy one of those zero tax cars <laughs> and i ended up looking at a c30 1.6 diesel i've got i mean i've got i'm looking to get a new car now because i've just got a new job as you know 
Yeah. I think maybe we could do a segment on that because I've got a budget to spend and what I'm bothered about is maximum fuel economy. So maybe we could do a feature on something that's reasonable to drive and Vauxhall Ampera. We'll, we'll do a feature on it. Yeah, we I will. Think. Yeah, um, we'll have an episode on that. What 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 is it you, you're only worried about fuel economy for the next one? Because the, of your the commutes. Yeah, I mean, up. my commute's going up from 8 minutes to 38 minutes. So... I want to be saving a bit of money on the fuel, and I'll just, I, all I want is I want an interior that's got, you know, I can connect to my phone ideally, so I can connect music to it if I want to without an aux cable, and fuel economy. That's all I'm really bothered about. Okay, we should put that to the viewers actually, just in case they, or oh, well, the listeners in this case, um, if they've got any suggestions. You want something that's high fuel economy? There, there are actually quite a lot of petrols that do. Good fuel. Oh economy. yeah, no, there are. It's just. Um, um, I mean, I won't reveal my budget on here yet. We'll talk about that off air. Yeah, but, but it's, I think it'll be a reasonably interesting article because it's a. It's probably a budget that a lot of people will relate to. Well, you're still buying this just really to commute. For. It, it's solely for commuting. Yeah, so and, it's not for coming here for, to do for, these. For but anyone, that's literally it. For anyone that is listening that thinks, oh, I, I could, you know, suggest this or that. The the issue you're going to find is you're not looking to buy anything that has to do an all-round job. It has to commute. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got a family car, so yeah. we'll use the family car if we're going away anywhere, usually. And then and I'll need... just use my car literally to go to work, from work, maybe to the shops on a Saturday, if we need to go and do the food shop or whatever. And, and then, then we'll... coming here after work sometimes. Then we'll get a fun fun car for both of us sorted at some point, and uh, that will be... Well, you say for both of us, it makes it sound like we're in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think it's more because... I'd like to stress that we're not. <laughs> no. As much as Sam's uh, odes across the desk, <laughs> I keep smashing my planes so that I've only got him to look at. So uh, The model planes, by the way. He's not. I don't live on a runway. Um, <laughs> as much as he wishes he did. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, no, so we'll start off cost of motoring fuel. I think fuel has got to a point where I don't think anymore we are saying... Oh, it's because of this, that, and that reason. I think a lot of this now is coming down to just bald-faced profiteering. And people can claim, well, there's a shortage here, there's a shortage there. There is the same supply as there was last year. Yes, we know there's issues happening in the east of Europe at the moment, but that should affect the natural gas market. The Middle East, where we get a lot of oil from, uh, sometimes we import it from the US, but not so much. But the Middle East's point of view, the, the supply is there. And from South Africa, uh, sorry, not South Africa, South America, where or Central South America, where there's also large reserves like Venezuela, um, there, these supplies are still there. So the only thing that I can think is that, yes, the tax seems to constantly be, you know, fuel duty and stuff like that seems to be talked about, but these these are high prices we're paying now. I can't remember actually the last time we saw price at the pump. That Below one twenty, yeah, that's a good. But I can't remember the last time we were up this high. I, do you know what? I think we'd have to go all the way back to, um, possibly even the start of the recession. I, I don't. Sorry, not I'm not start, sure. That, just I mean, we're, we're pretty much back at one fifty now. I mean, I'm sure at some places in the country we probably are at one fifty. When I came to you the other day, I, I drove over to yours on uh, yeah. the weekend, and uh, I took Sasha's car, and I I thought oh, I'll put some fuel in, and I. I generally put um super unleaded at this time of year because you've got slightly less ethanol and being that we live in a bit of a damp country it shouldn't have an effect but i'd rather be safe than sorry and pay a few pence but it was one pounds 49.9 9, 
That's quite cheap from for for super. But I was putting one pound fifty a litre fuel, and I thought I, I I actually cannot remember the last time I was putting in fuel at this price into a car, full stop. I know we talk about the you know when we were young. I mean even even when we were younger before we were driving, and it was below a pound, and it was sort of ninety pence a litre. But I mean we've grown up with it being around the pound mark, maybe one ten, and we've always said that's quite expensive. But to yeah. be going up past one pound fifty. I mean, if if you if you're, oh, well, we all know that motorway service stations have always been the they've always been they've always been high. I mean, yeah. you're looking at the sort of one pound seventy a litre if you go there. Yeah, yeah, and that's it, insanity. That, that it just just gets to a point where you think, well, look across the world, a price is going up everywhere, marginally, yes, but we seem to have started from a higher base, and that's really what I think our complaint on this is starting from. If if we'd started at a pound and we'd gone up twenty percent. Then well, yeah, no, you understand that we've we've been there before, but to be at one twenty five, one thirty, and then increase the fuel price by another twenty percent without real justification. Well, especially when you can see the prices of the the raw product, and you're saying, okay, well, I don't understand this profit margin that you've got of X Y Z because and the barrel. Oh, oh well, it's costing us more. Mo- well, it's not though. We can see how much it costs you, and your your costs of. I mean, your transport costs, I'm assuming, are probably the same as everyone else's because you've got to fill up your vehicles to move it around unless you're using your own fuel and you're not paying for it. Yeah, well, this is the the other side of it. I mean, I, I know part of this is to push for alternative fuels to come in. The, but the they're trouble, not affordable, though. This is the trouble, and we've spoken about this quite a lot off off the podcast because we we actually did want to understand, are we going to get alternative fuels? Are Are they saying to us, we want to put hydrogen at every petrol station, and because of that, we'd like to incentivise you by making hydrogen prices really cheap. They're not doing that. Hydrogen is barely available anywhere outside of London, and even in London, you're pretty stretched just to find somewhere. So they're not doing that. They're not offering, say, a a, a much more renewable, I should say, or sustainable fuel, like an E85. Like when I lived in Australia, you fill up with E85. They can, they have a warmer climate, generally speaking, um, but they also don't have the oil um, connections that we do in the UK. A friend of mine from Brazil, they have, I think, almost 100% ethanol. And he said, generally, what you would do is two tanks of 100% ethanol, and then on your third tank, you would put in something like an E10 or an E5 to, to put petrol back through it. But the the fuel systems could handle it. Now, I'd understand, again, if they said, look, we're going to charge more for people that want to have an, a non-sustainable petrol. Fair enough. And then everyone else with a regular, I don't know, Volkswagen Golf, Ford Focus, who just wants to put fuel in their car and do their mileage, could fill up with a 100% ethanol or, or other type of renewable fuel. But that's not the offer we're getting. It's the same three handles yeah, well, what, what you can't do is do all this and say well this is going to cost this much you're just pricing everybody out of being able to move around yes and if, if you if you've offered an alternative that's fine but saying well just use public transport well i can't use public transport to get here in 35 minutes i can't use public transport to get to work in 35 40 minutes this i could was... use public transport to get to work in two hours but i'd have yeah. to leave my house at half five in the morning to get to work when the buses aren't running so again, this is uh, this is actually a, a huge point to this because whenever we talk about fuel prices or cars in general, 
we'll always have someone who we speak to or that messages us or contacts us in any way that says, well, there are, there, there's public transport. And you get a lot of this on That's social fun. media. Yeah, it's usually people that live near London. Or live in London. Yeah. Do you know what? I would be very happy if I could have something that didn't have to be a compromise at all, was just a sports car that I had parked in a space outside, and I did not use it Monday to Friday because I could travel to wherever I was going that day for work or, or whatever, um, and I could just use the trains and the buses. That It all worked so quickly and efficiently and cheaply, yeah. and that last bit is really crucial because, yes, from where... So from where you live, Sam, you couldn't... You would have to get... Because you're in a village, you've got two train stations that sort of equal distance from yeah, you. Yeah, I appreciate that we choose to live in a village, but that's already made more expensive. Yes. So you want to live in a village, that's more expensive because it's an idyllic lifestyle, if you like. Fine. Then why make it more difficult for me to get anywhere from that village to go and earn money to pay to live in the village that's more expensive because I have to have a better job to work there? This, there sorry. This this is the thing, is that you can, you can say, oh, we're catering for people in cities. Well... That's fine then. People in cities can pay £1.50 for their fuel but the, and the, everyone else can pay. But you, that doesn't work because people will just drive outside to get Well, the reason fuel. that living in a village is expensive, expensive is because the people that work in the city buy a house in the village to go and live in. Yeah. Or have weekends in. Yes. So that drives up the price for everybody else that lives there. And this is, again, we don't want to hark on too much about this, but generally, uh, and when I've spoken to friends that I have that have moved out of London... What they've moved to is the commuter belt. So yeah. they live near the train stations in Oxfordshire, Hertfordshire, some of the ones in Buckinghamshire, which I benefit from because there is a train station, I'd say it's about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, 10 or 15 minutes, which would am. be fine. And it's 40 minutes then into to Euston. Yeah, if, you're, if your job was at the at a train station somewhere, yes. then you'd be fine. You could say, right, well, you know, I understand they're pricing people out of driving. That's fine. I can get the train, which also is ridiculously expensive. This is the other point, because I was going to say, I actually live in a city that has three train stations. So if I want to go yeah. from north to south of this city, I can actually do it on the train. The problem is, if I was to drive it, it would probably be about a quid's worth of petrol, maybe £2 absolute maximum. If I was to get the train, I'd be looking at a £10 return ticket. Yeah, and so even, even if you factor in your insurance, your tax... It still it's, doesn't it's, get up to that. No, a, a quick anecdote that I was talking with my partner the other day while we were having dinner um, somewhere. I can't think where we were, but we were saying we we quite like going on like walking. Like we'll go away to like the Peak District or the Lake District, and we'll go for walks as like a weekend away sort of thing. Yeah, I've always liked the idea of us getting on the train, going to a destination, and then doing two or three walks and staying at pubs along the way, and then mm. reaching another train station, getting the train home, which would be fine. But the problem is the train is so expensive in the first place. You're going to be paying over £100 probably to get from where we are to there. Yeah. Especially return, it's probably going to be more. You and I spoke... Whereas it would cost us a £40 tank of petrol to get there and most of the way back So for two of us. This is where it goes into it that you and I spoke the other day. Uh, well, actually, it was a while ago, and we said, oh, how about going up to Ben Nevis? And I said, we could. you can actually do it on the train, and all four of us yeah. could go. And we could, you know, go up. Uh, and, and there's a yeah, we've, we've wanted to do that for a while the four of yeah. us go to Snowdonia or yeah. Nevis like you said but you look at the cost of doing it and I know some people will then say oh well fuel can't be that expensive it's like no what we're saying is fuel is very expensive train prices are very very expensive and so you're really and it's what it saddens me a lot of the time is that it's the people that have the least that are going to be 
that are basically totally priced out the market because you they can you can try and drive a car around but it's going to cost you a lot in fuel and tax insurance everything else and generally an older car that isn't a classic does have an insurance premium bump because they're the ones that are more likely to get stolen or joyride or whatever else um and on the other side of that you'd say okay well could we have a train service a public system that really did actually back up the idea of i can leave my car at home i i I can choose to drive it and pay the fuel because i want to go and enjoy the the pleasure of driving or i'll go and use the train now in some countries uh, scandinavia would pick out as um I'm not actually. I shouldn't say Scandinavia because I'm not sure about Norway, but when I've been in Sweden, there seems to be quite a genuine system there of moving around Stockholm. Certainly, uh, you could do so at a fair price, and if you then wanted to leave uh, your car at home, it's it's actually possible. And I have, as I say, I've said before, I have family out there, and it is actually an option. Um, my cousin doesn't have a car out there; he lives in Stockholm, but not in the very, very centre of Stockholm, Stockholm's sprawling to anyone who's been to any European city or uh, or London, although it's a little bit different to London, but we, we generally build our big cities sprawling. And you can just walk to a train station, you can hop around, and it's not as extortionate as you would find it to be in most of the UK. And again, Comparing it off to if you lived in London, what's a what's a day ticket to go around to the... Um, I asked Sam, because this is his... I'll tell you what, if you can just give me... If you can waffle for like 30 seconds, I'll be able to tell you. Because we went to London last Thursday, like I don't... Oh, we've mentioned it on here. We went to London last week, and we went to uh, the Sipsmith Gin Distillery tour in the evening. Yeah. So that involved going from Central to Zone... I think it was Zone 3 that we went to. I only I asked Sam by the way because he's the one that's um Well, I'll get on the tube, you won't. Yeah. So the TFL travel charge I've got here, which was the contactless, was five fifty to go to Chiswick and back to Euston. Okay. So that gave you a was that a couple of zones worth of I think travel? It, I think it's zone three, but some But you could just move that. around. Like that was a ticket. You wasn't yeah. you were capped as well, I think, for the day, isn't it? I think it's capped somewhere near that yes. for the day. So we had you this. could travel all day, but you reach a maximum cap for Yeah. As I say, we had this just because uh, I went to a to your favourite football teams. Uh, did. And you, you sort of swapped. Well, you've given it away, it's a London team. Who is it? Yeah. And some people on the podcast think, oh, it's not going to be, oh, no, oh, no, no. It's not that scummy team from the East End, is it? Yeah. It does sound a bit cockney. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but again, like your partner, when she travels back uh, home, well, yeah. I say home, but obviously she's got her home with you, but yeah, yeah. to see her parents, she could never, I don't think she could actually do that journey on a, oh, she could. What, by train? You'd by have train. to go into Euston. So she'd go into across, central London. I don't know what goes out towards Colchester. This is what but I, even then, she lives in a village, and there is no train station in that village. So you were waiting so for a bus. So she'd have to get a train to a station, maybe a connecting train to the more rural station, then a bus to the village. It just It'd becomes... Take two or three days, yeah. I so, so this is where I don't think the argument of, well, the reason fuel price is this is because we want to get more people using public transport. Well, that's all well and good. Public transport would need a huge amount of money put into it. And if I'm honest, I actually think the government would have to step in and say we're going to spend a lot of taxpayers' money subsidising most of the journeys. It would be fine if they did it, but it's very much the attitude we seem to have, especially in this country, I know we focus on this country a lot, but it's obviously because we live here, is the attitude is, well, this is what we're doing, 
you've got to find a way around it. Yeah. And as you said, it's always the people at the lower end of the, the wage scale and the affordability that end up suffering. Yeah, and it, it takes into the next part. Of, I said uh, before we, we came here and I was saying to you, you if you had £150,000 to spend on a car right now, you go out, buy yourself an electric Porsche taken, uh, you could buy the absolute you know, top model. the range for that. Um, for less, actually, than 150000 But you could be in this, and you can take it to the VW charging network at Tesco's and fill up for free for your first, I think it's five years or whatever else, it, or whatever it is. So that's five years of no payments for fuel. For fuel. Essentially, we say fuel, but yeah, for your propulsion. And because you can you afford know. to buy a brand new car, it's also three years not paying for an MOT. Three years not paying for an MOT, and you've got a warranty to cover off any costs yeah. that you may incur. And you're generally speaking, for that level of car, your insurance is actually quite reasonable. Yeah. So and and, and you can drive into the ULES zone. So you've got zero tax. So basically, aside from your insurance, which everybody has to buy, yeah, you will actually be getting three years of completely free motoring. You buy the car, insure wealthy. it. Yeah, buy the car and insure it. And, and I know people can say, oh, there's, well, there's lots of examples of that. Yes, well, can we not can we not make it even worse for the people that are, say, for example, they've got three children or two children and they're driving a diesel Passat at the moment? Yeah. Why can't we make a... Why can't they have something that's on the more affordable side? So something that's in the, you know, the 15 to 25 bracket. Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, I'm thinking like an ID3. I was going to say, ID3 ID3 doesn't... Like 35. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't quite fit into that bracket. I'm sure people could say, well, on payments and everything else. But... What if we're talking? Then, I think we need to move away from these this the payment lifestyle. Though I don't think people. It's what's will. getting. I, I, it's what I, it's what's getting disagree. people into debt. Yeah, no, I don't. Because nobody looks but... at like, well, I've got this a month. So, for example, I've got fifteen hundred pounds a month. My mortgage is mortgage and bills eight hundred pounds. My car four fifty. That takes me to twelve fifty. I can live off that. That's fine. In reality, you've then got two hundred and fifty pound yeah. a month. And a lot of people not get livable. caught. The the other thing that uh that interests me when it comes to these payments, and I had this conversation a while ago, a couple of years ago actually, because I worked in car sales for years and years and years, um, I used to get quite frustrated with how the adverts worked because I'd have a lot of disappointed customers that would walk in, they they had seen a magazine advert, a TV advert, and they said, "Oh, I've seen that your new such and such is." Three hundred pounds a month, two fifty a month. A lot of the time, it was actually a one nine nine or a one four nine or a two four nine, and people had, had got in their heads. Well, I haven't got a lot of money to put down, but I can afford two fifty a month, and I'd like a brand new car. And I knew the second they walked through the door that what they had seen on the advert was yes, it is two four nine for this brand new car with a seven thousand pound deposit. Yeah, exactly. And they uh, that's not advertised, that's yeah. in the really small print yeah. at the bottom. And then, on the back of the advert. So that used to really frustrate me. And I had a conversation with someone once who said, Well, yeah, but if you don't put the seven thousand down, the payment's just more. So it's a correct advert. And I said, I'm not questioning the, the the advert. It's because this person had always in their head they always knew, well, I'm gonna have to put X amount down. But what I was trying to translate to them is that yeah, but a lot of people just see the headline figure and, and you know, they theorise, I can afford that a month. And they don't realise you're going to have to put a lot down to get that figure. And once they come through the door, I just didn't like the sales tactic uh, of then saying to them, well, you can have it for 350 a month if you only put down £1,000. This person's then like, oh, I've got £1,000 
And before you know it, they've sat in the car, they've sold it to themselves, they've fallen in love with it a little bit. It, it, it breeds buyer's remorse. And it, it's a poor way for me, I always felt, to start a relationship, only because with a, with a customer who's hopefully going to come and keep buying from you. It, it just... I hated tricking people. And yeah. obviously it wasn't me creating the adverts. Which is, which is why you weren't a very good car salesman in the end, because you had too much of a conscience. <laughs> Do you know, the, the odd thing was, I used to sell. Uh, I used to actually be competitive every month, and I'd well, win because, a lot of months, Because people appreciate someone that's genuine. Like, I mean, this was the other we're not side saying that every car salesman is dodgy. We, we've had, this, we've had yeah. this before on the podcast. Yeah. But I just want to clarify for people, if you ever do see, you know, oh, it's 199 a month. It, it it's going to be with a large deposit. And I'm sure a lot of you know that. But I used to be faced with a 20-year-old, for example. I remember one really nice lad. He came in. He just wanted a small run around. He'd got a job. I think he just got he got an apprenticeship that had just become a, a full-time deal. And so, obviously, the, the wage bump for him, he was earning the most he'd ever earned in his life. And he was thinking, oh, I, I still live at home with my parents. I'd love to have a... Do you know what I'm tempted to say? He was coming in for an MX-5. Just a basic 1.8. Okay. And I was like, good on you, mate. You know, I, yeah. I really, I, because obviously being a car enthusiast, anyone that um, when I was working at the Mazda dealer said the words MX-5, MPS, RX-8 to me, they had my ears. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be <laughs> diving across the showroom to talk to them. And it basically he had worked out in his head. He'd done his maths. He said he, he wasn't planning to move out of his parents' house for the next couple of years. They didn't mind that. And he had, was earning quite a lot more money than he had been on his apprenticeship now that they'd taken him full time. He had a quick look online and he'd seen payment is such and such. And I, I told him off the bat, I said, yeah, have you got £5,000? And of course he didn't because he was 20 and he'd been on an apprentice wage. And I explained to him, look, I'll, I will do you a deal as best as I can do it. But it's not going to be that payment unless you've got this money to put down. In the end, I think his parents came through and they, they sort of gave a couple of thousand down and I did a little bit of a discount for him and uh, we got it to a payment that he was happy enough with. But he had been to two other dealers before me, um, just shopping around. Right. And and they hadn't really explained this to him. Yeah. They had, I mean, they, they, are, they must have said it to him, but it was in a way of, oh, yeah, you've seen the payment, drive the car. And we'll talk about deposit afterwards. Yeah, once we've got your name signed on a few forms, then we'll say, right, so it's the £5,000 today. Yeah. And and then if you don't have it, oh, that, no worries, no worries. Well, we can make it 350 or 400 a month. And, of course, once you're, especially when you're young, and I was, because I was a bit younger at the time as well, I was maybe a bit too, too well, not too honest, but just wanted people to really understand. Because you can make a poor financial decision when you're 20, and it sort of haunts you for the next... Oh yeah, it does definitely. Um, I think this goes back to a little bit of. I mean, I, don't, I know we don't want to get too deep into the educational structure of this country, but anything to do with finance isn't really taught in schools no. unless you're doing like a business degree. But even then, you're taught about business stuff. Nobody is taught how to budget themselves. Like, yeah. I know. You, I know people are going to say, "Well, that's the parents' job. That's their responsibility and stuff." But yeah, a lot of time the parents can't do it. But yeah, exactly. Well, that's, the thing is, you, you, it only takes one generation to not be very good at it, then that's lost. Yeah. Because then their kids will be like, well, my mum and dad have always done this. Yeah. So it needs to be, there needs to be some sort of education, I think, in schools for people to help out. You know, do you want to spend £350 a month on a car or do you want to buy something a little bit cheaper and then maybe save a little bit of money each month? You know, just put 50 £100 away each month. 
you know, a year you're saving twelve hundred pounds then. Yep. And then you can come into a dealer and when you know, in a couple of years' time you can put a wedge down. Yeah. And and ultimately, um, you can get the payments as low, lower. Because the other thing that's not explained to people, and I remember this guy with the MX five and I really was I almost would not let him take the car unless he got a service package. And I did earn, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I earned a small, I think I got about 30 quid commission for every service pack that I sold. Because but they the service were, packs are worth it. This is what I was so adamant to him. I said, the problem, what I want to make clear to you is, you've got a warranty, you've got a brand new car, you need to come in and service it. You don't have to come here, but that's most likely what you're going to do. Yeah. If you take it on a service pack, we do a, a discount. So you get all three services. Then they, I think we used to do 20% off the total three-year cost. Yeah. So, so there's a 20% saving over you coming in and paying cash every well, Yeah, and you also credit pay card. it each month, so it's easier. That was the big thing I said to him. I said, you, if, if, if a month comes up where you need new tyres on your car, a service, and you've had a, a month of, I don't know, you've, you've had some birthdays come up or whatever else, um how you know i you have to be i had to be very careful because i worked within the framework of the financial i want to say it was the financial services authority at the time but it might have been the f financial conduct authority it changed while i was selling cars um and basically i i, I said to him look it, it just make sure your budget is clear in your head about how much you can afford in a month to additionally spend on the car yeah and in his, as I say, his, I think his mum was there at the time, and she said, "No, no, we we want the service package because she realised I wasn't I trying think, to." I think the service package is a really good way to go. It's one of the only monthly paying things that I think is a really good idea. Yeah, because you are a service is what you know, so one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty no, pound depending three, on three hundred. There you go. To four hundred expensive than I thought. Yeah, um, and the 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 big advantage you've got with the service packet, like you said, is the monthly payment. But also, I know a lot of people have a an opinion on dealer services and how much they charge and everything else but when you work out what you can get within that so a lot of dealer when you service it at the dealer you get 12 months full breakdown cover for example yeah included and so that's 50 60 quid that you don't have to pay out to the aa or someone like that and some of them do for european so um my partner's car the sat i was doing the maths on taking it to a vw specialist versus taking it to a dealer the dealer offers one year european a full european cover yeah i mean that's good for and it will take you to the dealer um it will do it has a return home clause for you included if you service with them at the dealer and i, I looked at that and i looked at how much it would cost to be to have that service with the aa or the rac um in the end it actually worked out beneficial for us yeah. to to go with, the, I think there was twenty pounds in it, and I was like, "Well, let's let's have a dealer stamp in the book then." But we've moved a little bit away from from cost of motoring. Well, I don't, I mean, we've accidentally well, we... <laughs> covered most of the points yes. that we've got written down. To be fair, yeah. is it was there any? Oh, the, the other thing is the the charges that we're facing now. So you've got the the ULES charge we knew about. The congestion charge has been a, around for quite a while. Birmingham have got a city centre driving charge. I think Manchester have introduced or are introducing a a, oh, wow. a charge yeah. for in the center most of them are aimed at old diesels that's yeah the, the fact of it um if you want my advice 
go and buy yourself a 40 year old classic car <laughs> and you don't have to pay any of these. We're, <laughs> not, we're not going back to the MGB again. Yeah, no, if you're, it's if you're, not happening. No. If you're interested no, in that, I'm, that having, I'm just going to keep talking over until you change the subject and <laughs> talk about something different. Um, yeah, so it, there are all these charges coming in. And again, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, look, we want to get the most polluting vehicles off the road and replace them with a cleaner. But they're not doing what they did. Again, when I was selling cars, we had the scrappage scheme come in because they were desperately trying to... Yeah, because they're trying to... That's that's how you incentivize and help people. You can't just say, we're going to charge... We're going to keep charging you to within an inch of your life because you're driving an old vehicle because that's what you can afford because we keep charging you all this money each month. You're absolutely right, yeah. It just doesn't work. And it's, the whole society system seems to be geared up for the rich people to be fine and the lowest 1%, the lowest 5%, the lowest 10% to be not. And and we're finding now, and this is just from conversations I've had with some friends that are still in the most trade, that customers they have had for years and years and years who just used to come in, replace their car every three years, the only reason they've been able to do it just recently is because the price of used cars has gone up so much that they have found themselves in a positive equity situation when trading in that three-year-old car. But these are your mid... I, I, I'm just going to call them middle class. I know it's a horrible way to distinguish people, but people who can afford to just get themselves a new car every three years, yeah, they wouldn't actually have been able to afford it this time because everything happening in the world and the larger deposits they were going to need because car prices have been inching up and inching up and the payments have sort of become... £10 more a month, £20 more a month. Once you're getting to £50 more a month, people start to think, I can probably keep the three-year-old car I've got for another year or two. Yeah, exactly. And they wouldn't have changed. It was only because, as I say, their their, their old three-year-old car had had so much positive equity in that the, the payments had actually come down because they were getting so much extra and the dealer was desperate for used stock. I, I just wonder where that ends, and I, I hope it doesn't end in a place where even the oldest of cars are outside the reach of a lot of average people or people that are just getting by. And even if they could afford the car itself, they can't afford the running of the car. And if if there was another option for it, fine, great, I'm happy. You know, that they've they've said, well, we do want to get people off the road, so we've offered a incredible public service uh, through buses, trains, the connections. It's never going to be as quick as point to point. No, of course. You you always you accept that it'd be a little bit more difficult, obviously. Well, it's like planes. You know how the A380 and the 747 have disappeared. Well, they're not the A380 because it's still flying with Etihad. But that was because of the spoke and wheel setup, where you would fly from one hub to another hub and then do a final journey. And people mm-hmm. said, actually, I want to fly point to point. So to go from London Heathrow to... London Heathrow is actually a very good... You yeah. can be connected quite well. But, for example, if you wanted to go to parts of America where Heathrow doesn't connect up, so Utah, you would have to fly probably to Atlanta yeah. and then connect out of Atlanta to Utah, for example. people if, if someone set up a direct flight, Heathrow to Utah, in a smaller plane, people will just take that because they, they don't really want to change, get out. And yeah. it's the same which setup for I mean, your buses not, and trains. Yeah, no one's and, expecting a bus to go every single which village going because there isn't the demand to go there you have to go there has to be a balance between the demand and what is feasible to offer 
yeah, you know, you're not going to travel to, you know, if you're going from, say, for example, Northampton to Bedford, you're not going to go via one of the villages that makes the route a triangle just because Maureen wants to go there because that's where she lives and she goes to Tesco's once a week. Yeah. You know, for, 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 is... for she'll have to travel to get to the bus, which is just going to go from a straight line through the, the major villages. So this like. is where I've seen a few cities, and I think they do it here where I live, offering another service separate to a bus, which is a minibus. Yeah, and they've got, the they've got it in the villages now. Have you got, it's okay. called the Village Hopper. And But they can be on demand. Yeah, I think, so I think there's a certain of, amount of on demand, yeah. Yeah, so you can do this thing of uh, saying, could I be picked up between these hours? And they'll an app sort of connects you up and the local council provide a service to to move you around within, yeah. let's say, 15 to 20 minutes of, of what you would desire best and they're using electric vans so if you're big on the on the um on doing it as green as possible then there's that option as well yeah that's fine if if that was being really rolled out and you had hundreds well not hundreds but if you had lots of them it's also going to create a few more jobs as well which i think is is that not the whole purpose of the problem is nowadays the problem is they are all subsidized yeah, and the problem is that they're all the lowest paid jobs as well, and it seems to be that yeah, nobody wants to take these yeah. jobs. <laughs> the, the trouble is, uh, for a lot of councils, they cannot afford to subsidise a bus service. The bus service then complains they're losing customers, and so we're back to square one. People get back into their cars, and then they get to the petrol station, they call up their insurance. Well, maybe maybe the whole bus idea needs to be scrapped, and there needs to be something more towards this sort of personalised bus service, but which is sort of like a taxi. Yes, but, <laughs> but then... You know, a, a sort of middleman between the two. Maybe that maybe that needs to be something it's that's making thought it, of. It's making it either break even or profitable. Yeah. And this is where, again, cars... But can... a, pu- a public transport service system, I don't think, needs to be profitable. Oh, I 100%. I mean, I agree it should, with you completely. It should, be, it should be a break even. Yeah. Because it's a service that's being provided. The trouble is, again, whenever it's been a public service, with the, with the exception of TfL, which is subsidised, um, it, basically, it's failed. It's failed to deliver the route. Yeah, yeah. People, I'm not, I know it's all. I know it's been tried. And it's, everything gets privatised. And it's but you would been, hope that with modern technology, we would be moving a bit closer to that. And in fact, what we seem to be doing is hiking up the price of car ownership, and not really giving the people that are going to suffer the most with that a, another option to pick up. So, anyway. I think are we done for this one? Is that is that everything? I mean, we could whinge on for a bit longer. Oh, I, say, I don't want to do. I don't want to depress. I just, I just want to add a little our, caveat. Our regular, our regular <laughs> listeners are thinking, God, I don't want people to think we're trying to bash the rich, though. I don't. You know, I'm not suggesting that. No, we, no it's you know, just we take all the rich's money and give it to the poor. We're not a Robin Hood podcast. Well, we could. Well, we can. <laughs> I can only speak for myself. I'm not a Robin Hood. Miles might want since to be. I, since I was born there. Yeah, but it it does seem that. Everything is geared up towards if you are a little bit more wealthier, you're a little bit better off, everything is going to be a lot easier. I think we just do we need to do some stuff to help the, I don't want to say the poorer because it's it's not a nice way to talk about Just the, the, the people that need a small... Sm- the people that need the help. We just need to help them a bit more. And and we're only talking about from the transport side. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're not we, saying... We, we could sit here and go into you know economics and talk about society. Which I, could, well, I know we have a little a, bit. You'd be asleep, yeah. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'm getting tired already. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're you're very right, and it's good to point that out. It's it's not a case of just saying, oh, well, they get everything and these people. It's just a case of when we're talking about the roads, there has to be a little bit of equality for people to be able to travel around because it is as important that a nurse can get to work yeah. for a regular. And I know people pick up nurses, but teachers and the anyone people who who street the uh, sweep the streets 
people well, who are gardeners, yeah, exactly. people it's, who are postmen, it's equally as important. all the way up to solidism. It's equally as important for you to be able to get to work as a nurse or for me working as a groundsman in a school. Yeah. It, it's equally as important, not necessarily because we're saying we're all as important as a nurse, but we've all got mortgages to pay. Yeah. So it's equally important for everyone that everybody can get to work for the job that they're doing. Yeah. So and and so it's just a case of if to so sort it out, Boris. Yeah. <laughs> but it, this is the thing. For, as far as we can see, when when it's coming to fuel prices, we see this with insurance as well. Insurance goes up because they say, "Oh, well, people are using their cars more." Well, unless you can show us data to say there are definitely more accidents and we are paying out a lot more money then insurance prices shouldn't be changing. No, they're just using the excuse that people are on the road more, so there's more likelihood of an accident. Yeah. doesn't mean there are more accidents and actually then happening. When when there's less people on the road, they say people aren't driving as much, so they're less experienced. When they get on the road, they're more likely to have a crash. So, so it, basically, we just need to pay more all the time. Yes. For and what reason? Just to pay the shareholders. And and it's that, that that we're really sort of picking up. And again, if you can afford to buy a Porsche taken and drive it free, great, I'm happy for you because... Yeah, good for I, you. I wish I you could. Got, you got to that point where you can do that. We just need to make sure that there's also some allowances for the people who are driving an old Passat or a Mondeo, who have a family. who Because they work just as hard. Yeah, they're just doing just something different. Because Their skill set is something because else. Maybe just because they're not doing a job that pays as much. I'm not suggesting that people don't work hard to get to where they are, where they can afford these things. But it doesn't mean that the people that can't afford it aren't working as hard. They're just working hard at a different job, which maybe doesn't have the opportunities and the pay yeah. that will get them to a Porsche taken. I know we're using that as today's example of... Well, it could be that's a Tesla. Our, that, that's our barometer be, of what we're talking about. Yeah. But I do, we just thought we'd pick that one just because it made the point of you can charge off the VW network for free. And, and yeah. when, when, when you've got someone with a very expensive car charging it for free and someone who can't afford to get out of their older car pumping in fuel that has just gone up and up and up... Yeah. You kind of think, mm, you get stuck in that vicious cycle. Yeah, and, and the problem is, it depends which bit. cycle you're in when it comes in. You end up staying in that cycle. If you're lucky to be in one of the top cycles, yeah, then great, you're fine. But if you're in one of the bottom cycles, then you're stuck in the bottom cycle. For me, that one of the best answers would be if if we do want to cut down on emissions, which we all breathe the air. So as much as we're car enthusiasts and people can have a debate on climate change and whatever else, we're not doing that. We're just saying we all breathe the air. If you do want to reduce the amount of tailpipe emissions coming out, we know a much newer car will have less tailpipe emissions coming out of it because it has uh, petrol particulate filters, it has a new catalytic converter if it's a new car, it has a more efficient, cleaner engine, and if it's a hybrid, it can possibly be running off zero emissions for partial yeah. time. So if the government was saying, we're going to put a big scrappage scheme incentive in for people who are currently in older vehicles to get into brand new plug-in hybrids, hybrids and electric cars. I actually think the hybrid model is the absolute best model that we could, because fuel will get better. Well, it's, it's ready now, isn't it? It's ready now. The infrastructure for that is ready now. And for short journeys, people could be using a charging network. For longer journeys, fuel, I, I, just, I still believe that fuel will get better. And we do have a podcast coming up. It's not going to be for a little while. But it's talking about a joint effort between Toyota and Yamaha to make a combustion hydrogen engine. And they've actually made a V8 and it's looking and it's a modified version of a V8 they currently run. Heavily modified version of a V8 they currently run in the I see the RCF 
model in the Lexus RCF has this naturally aspirated V8. That's going to come up in a much later podcast. But if manufacturers out there are still thinking, can we make a cleaner fuel to go in that engine, whether that be through uh, ethanol, whether that be, and the other thing with ethanol, and it's one thing I just wanted to pick out, we're using a cleaner fuel, which should reduce the tailpipe emissions. There's no reduction being made in tax for those vehicles yeah. that now have bearing in mind also that ethanol burns it has it it's less dense in the way it holds energy so actually it burns at a quicker rate so i'm not really sure it's of any huge benefit right now but the technology is getting better and better which is where things like formula one need to come in and step up again as well so yeah they're switching to e10 2022 2025 there's going to be another switch that if but they it, do a lot of they do a lot of research into fuel, don't they? And they do to make themselves yeah. be the most economical racing series. Then that needs to be transferable to the road. Yeah, and the hope is that, as I say, if the government put in some sort of system that said, "Look, we do understand there's a lot of people who just need a family vehicle. They just need a saloon or a hatchback. Yeah. We we understand they can't just walk out into a dealership and spend four hundred pounds a month with a big deposit. Well, do you know what? Give give them the deposit by saying we're going to run a scrappage scheme for cars that are... I would actually target it, I'd say, if you have a diesel of a certain age yeah, or you have a petrol that is in certain tax bands. Because one of the things that broke my heart when we had the last scrappage scheme was there were some absolutely beautiful vehicles that today, if those owners had hold on, held on to, would be worth multitudes. I, I, just, I remember an old BMW coming in and it was really well kept. And I think the guy had inherited it from his dad and sat it in the garage and he had had it long enough that his name would be on the logbook long enough that he could scrap it. And he said, well, I can get two, I think it was £2,000 off a new car. Uh, so I'm going to do that. And I remember this, and I, I sat in it just to drive it around the back. We were not allowed to buy them. We were not allowed to retail them. They had to be scrapped. That was part of the government's yeah. deal. This thing really, I can't remember. It wasn't you know, an M car or anything like that. It was just a very clean example of what now would have been a more and more classic. It was a 90, no, uh, sorry, a 1990, I think, or an 89, three oh, okay. series. And the guy came to pick it up, and he picked it up by its roof with a claw <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> I was just like, oh... So I don't want to scrap things like that. No, they, they because they, it, I mean that that car had been sat in his garage. It wasn't doing any mileage really, uh, and now it would be more and more of a classic. But the point being that people who are in older cars that are possibly getting harder to maintain, that could be incentivized into a cheap payment deal um, on a long term higher purchase. I mean, I, I'm one of them. I mean, I'm as much a petrol head as everyone else, but I'm at a stage now where I literally need. I want an, a more modern car because I want the mod cons of, like I said, being able to get in the car and my phone connects to it and I can play my podcasts through the stereo. Playing the Mars Driven podcast through no, without <laughs> without an Sam refuses <laughs> to listen to us, yeah. It's but, just me. But what I care about is with the current cost of fuel, if fuel was cheaper, I might have a different outlook. But with the current cost of fuel, if I could get a hybrid or, yeah, or something for, like that. For that commute. For yeah. me, that drive to work, as much as I'll enjoy the driving, it's literally to get me to work currently for the next year or two until you now I get settled or progress or you know we get a pay rise or whatever. 
is just to get me to work. I want to get there in comfort. I'd like to get there with a few mod cons and just to enjoy my drive and the entertainment side of it whilst driving. But the fuel economy is the most important thing to me. Yeah. And and also being able to make that journey comfortably. And, and yeah. Do you know, it's it was a serious consideration for me in a previous job that I had. I worked for a big um, corporate company and they were about, uh, they were sort of 25, 30 mile drive from where I live. And at work, we had chargers yeah. in several. And I, I genuinely thought to myself, if I bought a plug-in hybrid, I could get to, I, I live in an apartment, so I couldn't charge it at home. But well, you I could do, with a really long lead. And a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. But, then, <laughs> but then I have a Tesco nearby that has VW charger yeah, points. Do, yeah. And there's a McDonald's has got one in its car park. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of others. So I could have charged it around here, but I could have done the journey to work each day, fueling on electric. Yeah. If I had a plug-in hybrid. I could have charged at work and done the journey home every day on free electricity because they were letting you charge free at work. That would have meant my fuel say I mean my fuel uh, cost would have gone from I think I used to spend about 150 200 pounds a month on my commute would have gone to nearly zero let's say it would have been 30 40 quid in electricity. That that would have meant I could have spent 150 pounds a month and been in the same place on a payment. Yeah, car. exactly. Yeah. If you so this is why I say if you incentivize people who are currently in older vehicles, you say we're going to give you a good size deposit to get into a plug-in hybrid. Electric electric cars are expensive. Um, they just are. They have rare earth materials in them. They're going to continue to be like that because it's in the name rare earth materials. So until we can move to a different type of material, uh, I know people say oh economic scales and everything. It, it, no. I can tell you as someone who has studied economics, um, it doesn't work like that when you've got a very rare material. You can't just upscale it because you just run out, which is yeah, the simple exactly. problem yeah, we yeah. have with lithium yeah. and, and cobalt. Is You could dig it all out the ground and say, good, that, that will be the economies of scale. It will come down in price. Well, it won't yeah, because, because you've, you've, left. Yeah, you've run out. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, no, I, I just wanted to bring this up and I thought maybe it would just highlight a few things to people out there and there's going to definitely be people who are in this sort of scenario and they're umming and ahhing as to what to do. People in the same same situation as you, Sam, who are sort of thinking, God, if I could just do my commute, either by a public route or by having something like a plug-in hybrid, yeah, um, and then I can still enjoy my car at the weekend and possibly do what a lot of people do and have something in the garage that is... Yeah, I mean, I have to put it on record, impact. I wouldn't use public transport. To get to work, I don't think. I, well, you, I don't think you could. No, even if I could, I'm not sure I would. Just purely because I like that time to myself in the car in the mornings whilst this driving to work. Is another side of it. A lot of people do enjoy half an hour, forty minutes. There's themselves. a lot to be said for, there especially is. if people's you know mental well-being. Yeah, you can put on half an hour just to do whatever you want to. Well, apparently, this, listen to the Miles Driven podcast. Yeah, which is I'm assuming what everyone does in them. I can only imagine <laughs> the whole of the UK and the US and Europe and Australia, everyone actually wakes up, thinks right. I get in the car, Tuesday morning, I know there's been a new podcast out. They save the one from Saturday morning for, for another week. and they... well, you, you need to up your uh, the company that you use to get the stats then, because <laughs> they're not doing all the stats right. No. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, now we've insulted you, we can end. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, we are going back to a little bit more exciting stuff after this, and, uh, and we wanted to do this just because we think it's an important conversation to have. But um, 
we'll go back to sort of. I think we've got a car review coming up next. Yeah, you've been promising that for three weeks now. Oh, because of the we're F1. back to cars. We're back to cars. We're back to exciting stuff. Here's another one. I think this has been all right. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I just think some people might have tuned in thinking, oh, do you know what? I could. I just want to sail away this morning into story of some car reviews, and we've oh, okay. we've done what they want is more stories about things that you've done. Yes, disasters in Miles's life. They are coming. We need to have a disasters in uh, Miles's life they're, section. They're in the schedule. You know our schedule. Yeah, is, no, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, our schedule is so jammed. We're up to. Yeah, you've got up to like podcast 30 odd. Yeah, even the 40s. Because we've had so many things that have come in and we've had to put them next week, next week, next week. We just can't crank them out fast enough to to catch up. So, um, by by all means, by the way, if you have an idea for a podcast, you have a question you want to put into a podcast, you can message on, you can either message on Instagram, which will most likely be me that picks that up. If you um, just comment and you can comment on the podcast link that I'm going to put up every Sunday or Monday. Yeah, I'm going to do a podcast reminder on the Facebook page. So you can just put a comment on that and just say, just add a question. We'll talk about. We'd like to do a question section at the end of each podcast, but we need to get the questions in for that to happen. Yeah, um, but yeah. So if you do it, if you, if it goes to Facebook, likely Sam will pick it up. If it goes to Instagram with me. If it's the website, it'll be split between us. So you can go on any of those, uh, themilesdriven.com, the Miles Driven Instagram, and the Miles Driven Facebook page. Yeah, and think, at some point we'll say to have a Twitter account, just because I think that's something that a lot of people use. Yeah, I think actually there is a Twitter account, but I think I just didn't use it, because oh, okay. Twitter just became a bit too um, yeah, combative. That will just that'll literally just be used as a as a, a quick podcast link. Yeah, and people sorry, can, as I say, people just want to send a quick message in. But um, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed it, Share it with people that um, you think will enjoy it. So it just helps us out to see. We we can see when it's shared. And it's actually great. A lot of people are just sharing it. And we can see the stats of people share it. And all of a sudden, the next week, when the next one comes out, yeah. we've got even more which people, good. which is great. The more people that listen, the better content you're going to end up getting. Yeah. So. Is that we done, Sam? I think we're good. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.